0: Welcome to Return to Rochard, where we speak again the ancient oaths by going through Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight books and put everything into a wider Cosmere context. So a spoiler warning is in effect for every Cosmere book published at the time of recording and that means up to Rhythm of War for now. Turn to Rosha has a number of hosts, eight at the moment, who will talk about chapters or topics in teams of two or three in the future. Today, all of us are here together, so let's get to know everyone and what they look forward to on this journey. We've
1: got a great podcast team here. On our podcast team, we have Anna, Cody, Ben, Devin, Morden, Mertog, Kevin, and I am Leia So I'll go ahead and kick off the questioning. And today I would like to start with Cody. Cody, how did you find Stormlight Archives in the Cosmere?
2: Well, unlike most people, I feel like here... I found Brandon before I found Wheel of Time. So my introduction to Stormlight was I was at my best friend's house, and his older brother has introduced us to pretty much most of the things I enjoy in life. So we were playing Minecraft, and they're listening to an audiobook, which happened to be Mistborn, and it was the final fight between Vin and the Lord Ruler. And I had no idea what was going on. I just hear them like burning metals, and it's not working. So I thought it was a series where you lit rods of metal on fire and used them as wands. Like, so I was like a year later, I'm like, what was that weird story we were listening to? I have to finish that. So I found Brandon.
3: What an initial like perspective on Mistborn, <laughs> like just burning metal rods and shooting powers out of them at people. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's great.
1: <laughs> All right, Ben, what do you particularly want to focus on for the podcast?
3: Hi, I'm Ben. I think my particular interest in Stormlight is the people and the relationships and just the attention to detail that Brandon puts into trying to give proper exposure to just different things that people go through emotionally or, you know, situationally. So I'm really looking forward to just trying to dig in and understand kind of where all the uh, the dynamics of the different relationships. Yeah, just uh, there's a lot of very dynamic relationships, and he's constantly kind of turning things on your head. Like a lot of people were shipping certain relationships early on in the series that he just totally flipped around on you. And it'll just be fun to kind of dig into, I guess, the human aspect of, you know, a fantasy series and the magic. Definitely super excited to dig into all the gritty Cosmere magic. All right. So, true to form, since I like the relationship aspects best, I'm going to ask you, Anna, which characters would you like to see interact?
0: Oh, okay, so Anna here again. <laughs> That's one of the questions that I came up with when I was thinking about doing a wider Cost Me a Thing. And there are so many, so many good pairings that I. Can't think of one of the from the top of my head that I would like to see most. Mainly because I'm very, very wonky on the timeline. But I think everybody from Mistborn Era 2 could be up for being seen on Russia, right?
3: That seems like how the timelines are syncing up.
4: Yeah, they should be able to make it for the second half of the series.
0: So yeah. Then I want to do something that I know many people would hate. But I would love that I would want to see a Wayne-Lopen interaction.
4: You're not the only one.
0: (laughs) No, I'm not. But I know that there are many people who hate them both. I think if you hate one, then you hate both.
5: Michael Kramer likes to do the same voice for both as well, which, you know, doesn't help for a lot of people, I'm sure. Really? Yeah, he does very similar.
0: For some reason, he does Lopen as an Australian, right?
5: Kind of. They kind of have like a weird, like... the Cockney. Kind of Cockney, but like a little bit more like a low-class Cockney. Definitely not like a high-class Londoner. Definitely more like a low-class.
0: I didn't know that. was... A high class cockney. Yeah.
5: Not Not words I have heard in the same sentence before. I'm trying to give them a little credit. I'm sure there's some out there.
0: That's the solution. The Herdasians are high class cockney. Anybody listening from the UK, definitely give us correction if there is, in fact, a high class cockney.
5: (laughs) Please write in. Please.
0: I'm going to go, Kevin. When was your first read? Which is probably the same as how did you? find the Cosmere, but tell us about how you got into this.
5: Hi, this is Kevin. And it was easy for me to actually figure out exactly when because I just went back to my Audible purchase history to when I first purchased Alantris. Like I think it was Cody alluded, I picked up immediately after I finished Wheel of Time for the first time, I went right into Brendan Sanderson. So it was the summer of 2017. And I had just finished Wheel of Time, and I had no idea what to do, because the first time you finish that book series is kind of like this void that just you don't know how to fill it. And I did do rereads many, many times after that point of Wheel of Time, but... That's when I first did a Elantris, and I was whelmed. I enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> what 10 things I hate about you reference? It might have been. Oh.
5: I like the twist. I think that's, you know, when I try to introduce Brandon to new people, I try not to say, oh, he writes great twists, because that basically ruins the fact that there are twists in his stories. But I like the way he does them in ways that I can't anticipate. And I'm not, not to say like... I'm this media guru who can anticipate every way a show is going to go. But there are common themes and like there comes a certain point in a story where you're like, oh, I kind of know exactly how this is going to end. And I'm always proven wrong with Brandon's stories. It's nice to be proven right sometimes for like little details. But he just always surprises me with the resolutions or, you know, how certain things have more logic to it or, you know, obviously the limitations of our unreliable narrators. So I think that's what officially got me hooked on him. You know, I I loved the work that he did finishing Wheel of Time, but I got really, really invested in the way he writes stories and utilizes tropes as a tool, but then subverts them to manage expectations a bit. Like he still uses them, but he uses them in a way that he acknowledges they have to exist, but he doesn't have to follow all the rules, which is nice.
0: I think it's an extension of what Robert Jordan was so great at. What he did was he thought about the concept of a world savior and what that would really entail. And what Brandon does is he thinks of a magic system and what that would really entail.
5: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I would like to ask Murtaugh, what order do you think that you belong most to?
6: Hi, I'm Murtaugh. Order I belong to, I think most is Elskalips, simply because I have Took a survey once, and it told me I was an owl scholar. But also because I like their analytical, less empathetic look at certain situations, I I find it useful in their world. Also, I'd really like to be able to just like pitch on fire on command.
3: Soul casting is a
6: good reason. Let's see questions. I would like to ask Moradin. When did you do your first read? My name is Morden, by the way.
4: (laughs) My first read was 2012, 2013. I started reading Mistborn while I was waiting on A Memory of Light to be released. Then Way of Kings was right after that in 2013, just before Words of Radiance actually came out. And then just... Everything kind of started, well, I guess you can call it a Sanderlanch with this one. I kind of just kept going afterward, and I reread it all the books several times. My brain was blown when I read Words of Radiance, and a certain uh, sword decided to show up out of nowhere.
7: All right. Um, uh, let's see. D, What character do you love to hate? My name is D. I am the resident philosopher that likes to poke on everybody's nerves a little. Straight off the cuff, you know, the obvious choice there would be Moash. But I gotta say Raboniel, while being an amazing scholar, uses her talents for complete genocide, just unapologetically. And I just, you gotta hate that, and I'd love to hate that. Definitely anti-genocide. It's so genocide, it's... Maybe
5: some of my people will get it caught up, too. Who cares? Like, it's just so twisted. Well, it's on the record now. This show is against genocide, just so everybody knows. Yeah, Fully on the record.
0: It's an anti-genocide podcast. I'll make a note of it. Thank you.
3: It's also, like, the whole storyline feels like they're trying to get you to find redeemable qualities in her. Like, you know, they keep showing more and more humanized aspects of her.
1: Yeah, like getting to know her daughter, and yeah.
3: I mean,
7: she's not the only one who suggested genocide, so... That's true. To be fair to that character, there is that sort of redeeming arc throughout when she starts pushing against those teachings of Odium by creating warlight, and she kind of starts to turn away from it, especially on her deathbed there, but it's just not enough to redeem it. So I will ask you, Leia, which is your favorite shard?
1: Ooh, so hi, I'm Leia. I think my favorite shard, even though we don't know a lot about her, is cultivation. So the little that we see of her, she just seems fascinated, kind of a neutral shard on the scheme of things. You know, had that love affair with Honor back when they were, air quotes, humans, and then has kind of been trying to avenge his death, but she's just... about the creation and life but she was never that much human yeah i'm hoping in the fifth book we'll learn a lot more about her like especially as they're coming up with these different lights like it seems like she has her own light especially through lift you learned that lift has cultivation light so you know i'm hoping that we learn a lot more about her in this fifth book that will hopefully soon be coming out
5: you are listening to return to roshar so we heard from everybody at least once so far. So let's take this one back to Cody. Cody, who do you love to hate?
2: I mean, there's the obvious, like, degree, like, Moash answer. But yes, his betrayal sucks. But I don't, I'm not necessarily the most vehement against him. In a way, any character that's not Dalinar- in Kaladin particularly on my first read-throughs because I was so invested in Kaladin's story anytime they'd go to like Shalon or anyone else I'm like I don't care about this I don't care about their lives go back to Kaladin I want to know what Kaladin's doing what's happening to Kaladin and like I was just so invested so I'd say that's my answer is anyone that's not a character I want to be learning about that immediate moment when he switches POVs.
0: That reminds me when I started reading Stormlight I was already in the community and people were like oh yeah have fun but they warned me, like, there are two characters you're going to hate because they're so annoying. They were Kaladin and Shalan. I was like, I read the book and I was like, what? <laughs> if you hate Kaladin and Shalan, how do you get through the book? But in the first book, I mean, I'm not even sure who I love more. I think it's basically Shalan, but Kaladin is, like, aww.
6: That's two out of the three main characters of the book.
0: Yeah, and it baffles me, It's like, I have no idea who that was. There were multiple people that decided they were so in sync on how awful Shallan is and how annoying. And Kaladin was just like, he's just a wet blanket. It's like, no, he's a well-written character who happens to have depression.
5: He is a well-written
2: wet blanket.
5: Yeah.
0: (laughs)
3: Yes.
5: It's intense. It's all about intent.
2: And for me, it wasn't even necessarily like that. I found Shallan per se annoying. It's just, I didn't connect with her as a character in the same way like i had never connected to a character quite like kaladin so it was like like it just was so consuming to me it's like everyone else it's like we we can wait on you we can we we can get to you at the end of the book
0: i don't know shalan appeared on the page and i was like yep you're my girl because i identify a lot with her i tend to identify with the first female character that pops up but shalan and i have a lot of things in common. I'm, I'm not as good an artist and I don't have a tragic backstory, but I still connect with her. Yeah, so...
6: I figured it was just the red hair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe that, that, that works too. It's Way of Kings. We have one female character and that's a redhead, so the two female characters. Later, thank God we have more. Oh, Brandon got so much better with that. Oh, yeah. We had Elantris. We had like this one woman who was a bit of a I don't know. I don't want to say anything about bad about her. And then we got Vin, who was great and perfect and wonderful, but she was literally the only woman ever in this whole series to pop up. She was surrounded by so many men who didn't all have to be men. So that was a big failing, which I think he realized. And uh, come Stormlight, he started to like branch out and let the ladies do more. I have no idea how that happened, but somehow I needed to talk about women (laughs) in presence writing right now. I love it. Uh, We got to get that out in episode zero.
6: I guess I will pick Ben, and this is a good one. Uh, What scene event impacted you the most?
3: That was a hard one for me to pick because there's just been so many scenes over the years that have hit me like a brick wall. But my... Favorite one recently is definitely the whole court scene and bringing in the cryptic and bringing in Maya and Adeline's kind of trial there. But I think my favorite of the entire series has got to be Dalinar and swearing his oath. The most important step a man can take being the next one. Just that whole build up to that and the way it turns the whole battle around was incredible.
5: That's a solid one.
3: Yeah, but like I said, there's just been so many like intense scenes throughout the thing. Like, just I really love Shalon and Adolin as a character, and Adolin is my favorite character at this point in the series, because he just doesn't quit. It doesn't matter how many times he's shown he can't do what everybody else does, or he's not as strong as everybody else. He just knows, this is what I can do, and this is what I'm going to do,
0: and that really speaks to me. He's a very supportive friend and partner. Not so much son, which makes sense to me. But on, a, on a reread, if you think about it, that's so scary that the whole first book, he keeps wishing that his father would be the way he was before when his father was a psychopath. That's true.
3: Yeah, but he only knew his father through his mother's eyes. Like his mother always raised him up to look at his father as a hero.
0: Yeah, but if you think about this being his formative years and this being his idea of his father, then this relationship could only be effed up because he was idolizing a man who was not well adjusted in any way.
7: You have one idea of someone and then they prove to be the exact opposite of what you thought, at least for a time.
3: Mm -hmm. I think it was really incredible how Brandon worked that in to the story as well. Like we all see Dalinar as this hero and then we get to Oathbringer and there's been all these hints that he was this warlord and this tyrant, and then we find out from his perspective that it's all true, and worse than anyone
0: knows. It's worse than anyone ever imagined. Hmm. I'll throw a question
7: down to Moradin's way. Which of all the systems in the Cosmere is your favorite magic system? This is Moradin, by the way.
4: Honestly, I'm kind of torn between a few of them, Mostly the metallic arts and awakening. I love the idea of awakening. It's very methodical. You have to have this certain amount to be able to do this and have these certain abilities. At the same time, you're also having to take pieces of other people's souls while being able to do that. But who doesn't want a little childlike sword who doesn't know what evil is hanging around them all the time? And the metallic arts, it's very methodical on that. You have this metal it activates this ability. And then you have Farrakami, which is the same way where you store a certain attribute and you get to do double, triple, quintuple, all that stuff based on how much you have in there and how much is in there. You get this much back based on the amount you, how much you tap. And then, of course, being evil, I like Hemology a lot. (laughs) You don't see many of these things where it's just like, oh, hey, I'm just going to steal your power By spiking you. And then I'm just going to shove
5: the spike in myself.
1: Yeah that was pretty brutal. Part of Mistborn. Reading all those scenes.
5: When they describe it too. As like oh yeah you're tearing off a chunk. Of their soul too while you're doing it. Yeah that's that's great uh, visualization there.
4: Oh yeah. And the fact that if you survive. That somehow. And it can be done. Especially if you happen to be a gold twin born. It's still going to cause issues because you're basically scarring over that tissue or scarring over that spiritual portion of this tissue there.
1: I think we're all like cringing right now. (laughs) Charming.
4: (laughs) I visibly did so. It's just like, it's a lot of really cool things that can be done. And the combination of the powers, especially is insane. Mm -hmm. Because while you have these crazy knights Radiant, who can do practically anything, just a combination of two powers between Alamancy and Furukami can cause some insane just effects. And then if you have someone like the Lord Ruler, if they're actually using their full power instead of just being hyper-confident about their fight, it's not going to end well for anybody.
6: (laughs) Alright, so, Murtaugh, what shard would you like to take up? It's Harmony. I've got two of the sixteen. You know, I guess I'm not good or bad, but I also have the excuse, if I can't help you, sorry, diametrically opposed shards. I'm trying, but I just can't make it happen.
0: Yeah, inbuilt in excuse to take a day off.
6: Let's just have this conjure manipulate you from here on out. There's Marsh too. There's some downfalls to every shard, for sure. I'd love to have Milan around. Yeah, I just find the downfalls of Harmony are a little bit slightly less worse than, you know, being forced into being an evil monster, as some of the shards will do to
4: I mean, everything without any context or anything to hold it to morality or ethical ability will
7: go out of whack regardless. Case in point, pure honor without any intent to cultivate or any passion for the morality of honor just leads to oaths without
6: meaning, which is what we saw towards the end of honor's life. There's a huge emphasis on oaths on Roshar, obviously, because of honor. And that doesn't always lead to a good place, really. It doesn't.
5: Especially the whole perspective side. That's why Syl is always confused, because she's like, this is honorable. But also, like, at the same time, if I was on the other side, it wouldn't be. So that's, what do I do here?
6: Well, honorable doesn't always mean right. It really doesn't.
5: Just like, I know how
4: Race always wanted to see Odium as passion. And the way things work, passion unchecked can ultimately lead to Odium regardless.
6: But yeah, Harmony. I mean,
4: he's, he's hanging out. And he's a god. Good guy. He's a good guy. And he's kept most of his personality compared to uh, most of the others we've met.
1: I was going to say, he's only had his shard for, what, a couple hundred years? Yeah.
6: I was on the same wavelength. I think the diametrically opposed shards helped you keep your personality. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think it definitely helped balance him a lot. Or
4: now. I mean, Vin and Kelsey are both had issues even shortly after taking up preservation.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like the shards just amplify your personality traits and they were both very flawed, lovable, but flawed human beings, so...
3: Seyzed was especially, like, a strong personality, too. That was, like, the whole Mistborn trilogy, the first one, was really building Z's will, I felt like. I mean, heck, it shows a lot for
4: Eighty that he managed to kind of rein in ruin to be more entropic rather than just straight-up destruction.
0: Eddie was supposed to have been a really good guy, right?
4: Yes. I'll say Ati. What does everyone else say? I've always pronounced it eighty due to the fact that it's ADM.
0: I would prefer A-T, but yeah, that logic.
6: Your logic. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, so Murtaugh, who are you asking a question to?
6: I will go with Kevin, who I think hasn't got a second question yet. I'm ready. Kevin, why do you want to do the podcast? This is
5: Kevin again, by the way, uh, just in case anyone was keeping track. And I think that the idea behind it that I find most exciting is... When you get to talk about the books out loud, which, if you guys are anything like me, you never, ever, ever do to anybody, because why would you ever share your interests out loud with anyone? They might make fun of you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm nodding. But, like, as an adult, that's less common, and you have to realize that as an adult that it's less common. And when you get to talk about the books in the world, it makes it feel more real. And it makes you feel more invested. And it means like, oh, these sections in my brain that are just filled with this information, it has a point. You know, I can have a conversation with someone about it. And it's not just sitting there for my own enjoyment. I can actually also share it with others. and
4: Hey, I mean, I feel you on that. I grew up with Wheel of Time since I was 11 years old. I had nobody to talk to about it. It wasn't just that I couldn't share it because I tried to. But it was just the fact that nobody likes reading around
5: here.
6: Why do we try to get our families and friends to read these books? It's a selfish act. I just want to talk about them with
5: you. <laughs> and they know and they resist. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then, so, yeah, I think that getting the chance to actually talk to you guys about it, just it's just a nice thing. It's a nice feeling to be able to be like, oh, I don't have to be on guard. You know, I can just talk about this and just be like, cool, these people accept it. They're like open to it and they're open to just suspending reality for the brief time that we talk to pretend that this world
6: is real for a little bit longer.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: Your answer is my answer, Kevin. I think a lot of our answers.
0: Is- we just like to surround ourselves with people who have bigger nerds than we are ourselves.
3: Ben here and my answer is exactly the same as Kevin's too. I really empathize <laughs> with him. We definitely didn't all meet each other
7: from a similar sort of community. No, 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 no,
5: no, 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 no. All right. Anna, what scene are you most looking forward to discussing on the podcast?
0: This one is a bit tricky because a lot of the most impactful scenes that I have in my head are so far off that it doesn't make any sense to look forward to it, to discussing on this podcast. But i will go with an easy one and say what we're about to do right now next is discuss the prologue because we are... Looking at the prologue of Way of Kings, but we also will be looking at the other prologues because everything happens in real time. And it's a very, very complicated thing and very looking forward to putting it all together and seeing what we can figure out what actually happened there. So that's, yeah, it's easy but it's because we start with it, but different than just reading it.
6: It's going to be a lot of fun. The prologue in fantasy is almost like a trope of like, oh, we just revealed information to you. You don't know what the hell it means. You'll figure it out later. But every new book, we get a new POV of it. That's the first time I've seen that in Fantasy and Stormlight. And it's just beautiful.
0: Okay, Dee, will ask you, which scene had the biggest impact on you when reading it?
7: I'm D again, by the way. This one's a big one for me. The scene that impacted me the most was Tef's oath when he swore that I will protect those that I hate, even if the one I hate most is myself. And Tef's whole journey is something that I relate to heavily. Having a history with addiction and overcoming it, especially mostly alone, was very difficult. And being forced to accept the decisions that I made while addicted and while making those other horrible decisions made it just a harder journey. So I just, I really identify with that sort of belief that hating yourself, but still going forward. I'm not going to cry.
1: (laughs) Definitely great to have you a part of our team, because you will have that perspective that some of us don't have. It's one of the great things about this team is we've all got varied life experiences, and we all bring a little
0: bit different perspective. And cats. (laughs) And cats. (laughs) Most of us bring cats who will interrupt this podcast.
7: Well, I heard a meow, and I start looking at my cats, and they're both asleep.
1: That's mine. So this is Paka saying hi to everyone.
0: Hello. This leads me into a question for Leia, which is a bit of a curveball because it's not on the list. Oh, dear. And it's, how would you convince someone to read the Cosmere? Give us an elevator pitch why these books are awesome.
1: So I have actually convinced a couple people to read it, but I am a slightly different I think than a lot of the people in the community I didn't grow I grew up talking, like having people who read a lot of the nerd books. So I knew people who read Wheel of Time. I knew people who read all the Tolkien books and just had I always had people to discuss these with. So um I'm an engineer by trade, so I do have a lot of nerdy friends um so, and the way I just talk to them about it is that, yes, it's long, it's possibly longer than the Wheel of Time once we get to it, but there is excellent character development that a lot of the things that happen within the books, even though they're long, are just completely unexpected. You get partway through the book and you feel like things are resolved And then Sanderson just keeps going and just brings in things that are completely from left field, stuff that you would never have even imagined. And he really keeps the reader on their toes, just wanting more, wanting more. And just the intricacies, and especially now that there are several books, just as we were discussing, even from the first prologue of the first Stormlight Archive books. There's little nuggets that we found out in the fourth book. And I can't wait till we get to the fifth book because just going back and rereading and seeing what we just completely didn't understand back then, but now it obviously makes sense. Um, So it's very reread worthy. It's first time read worthy. Yeah. They're excellent books. Obviously we're doing a podcast about them. So we all love them. Any closing remarks from our various podcasters? before we close out our episode zero introduction to the podcasters things we learned from episode
0: zero we do have things to talk about
1: so remember journey before destination and we'll see you next time for the prologues of the stormlight Archive.